I don't expect this to be a tearjerker, um, but there's a, l- a bit of a head cold circling the Norman house, which means if I have to cough and I'm wearing a headset, you have to hear it. But now, <coughs> you're good. See? Everybody wins. Um, how we doing? Okay? Good. Grab a Bible if you can. There should be one in front of you. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. We're continuing through 1 Corinthians as a church here, and we're actually... Uh, nearing the end. We're in chapter 16. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we're going to be. I encourage you to read this for yourself, especially um, maybe even study this on your own during the week. Um, There's nothing like reading and encountering God through the Bible on your own. Uh, If you actually don't own a Bible, please take the one that you have in front of you uh, home with you and study it. But we're going to be in the first four verses of chapter 16. So four verses... We should be okay, right? Like a half hour per verse. Um, We'll be good, I think. We should make it out of here before 5 p.m. at least. So uh, we're going to read this together. I'll have you stand, actually. Some churches do this all the time. I did this when I first preached, and uh, it's a little dreary outside. I don't want you to fall asleep on me. So um, so we're going to stand, kind of shake the legs out a little bit. I'll read this out loud. You can follow along in the, the text in front of you or on the screen. So this is 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says, with regard to the collection for the saints, please follow the directions that I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you, so that a collection will not have to be made when I come. Then when I arrive, I will send those whom you approve with letters of explanation to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also... They will go with me. Let's pray. Father, use your word to teach us, uh, to shape us, to be more like Jesus. Uh, Spirit, would you be active in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So we've been going through 1 Corinthians here. Uh, Chapter 15 was all about the gospel, kind of recentering us back on what really matters uh, about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and we've been preaching on that for a while. And now it's, it's almost a, uh, a, a weird sort of shift. He, he's addressing a very practical concern. And, um, <clears throat> and it's, it's not that obvious, perhaps, from, from this English translation. This was originally written in Greek. But apparently in the Greek, I don't speak Greek. Jesse's actually becoming quite proficient in Greek. Um, <clears throat> and he could probably explain it better than I. But apparently in the Greek, this is very obviously that Paul is addressing their concern. It was, it was a question that they had posed to Paul. They were like, hey, we want to give to the church in Jerusalem. How do we do that? And he's saying, oh, well, concerning your question, and then he's going to give them some tips. Does that make sense? This is a letter from Paul to a group of believers. And so this letter, um, it's, it's obvious at certain times that there's been a, like a back and forth prior to this letter. Maybe they had written to Paul and Paul had written to them, that sort of thing. And... Um, and so he is starting from a, a point where they've already indicated a desire to give. Does that make sense? And, and so he's not going to address a whole host of concerns about money at this point. He actually will in the next book, Second uh, Corinthians. But in this, in this point, he's saying, look, you already want to give. Let me give you some instructions. And I wish I could feel in my heart that we could do the same thing, where we could jump in and just say, hey, let's get to the instructions, because all of us just really love giving with everything that we are. And... I don't know about you, but me personally, I'm not like, where can I give? Get, let me at them. 
You know, like, how, how can I just give away all this money that I don't have? Um, <clears throat> and so I feel like we almost need to take a step back and address some of the heart issues around generosity and giving before we get to the verses 2, 3, and 4, uh, where he's saying this is probably a more practical way of how to give. So um, we need to sort of step back and ask ourselves, how excited am I to be generous? Are you? I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's a soul-searching question. It's not all that fun to think about, probably, because most of us, uh, if you're like the rest of America, we don't give. Um, the stats are kind of astounding, and we don't really need to talk about, a whole lot about stats, but it's pretty abysmal. Even those in the church, we don't give all that much. And so we should ask ourselves, do I, do I desire to bless others with what I have? Am I on the lookout for how to give? Um, with, wit, with what eyes do I see my resources and my wealth? Uh, because there's a very distinct difference between what God tells us about our money and what the culture tells us about our money, right? And we're going we're gonna to kind of tease some of that out because it's important. Unless we see the lie, we'll continue to believe it. And so we're going to kind of separate those two things. Um, the Bible actually has a little bit to say about money. Uh, we've, we've been preaching this fall, and we've come across something like the spiritual gifts, and we've talked a lot about how does prophecy, how does um, words of knowledge, discernment, how do those things play out in the body, right? And, and we've been digging into those, and those are really important things for us. How many verses do you think in the whole Bible address spiritual gifts in the body? I, I tried to count. It's probably on the order of maybe 200, 300, maybe. How many verses on money in the Bible? Any guesses? Any guesses? 2,300. 2,300. So 10 times on money. It seems like God's people have had an issue with money for a long time, which was comforting to me because I thought maybe in America we just have this problem and nobody else had this before because we have such amazing amounts of wealth in this country. But it turns out that it's been going on forever and ever. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to set up uh, the difference between the culture's view of money and the kingdom's view on money, and then we're going to aim uh, with all that we are to sort of reject that cultural view because it is death. And um, I'm going to hopefully do a good job on that. So um, let's talk about some ways that the culture that we're living in uh, views money. So one would be that your money is your own to do with whatever you want, right? That's almost, I mean, that goes without saying. It's your money. You have possession of it. It is yours. Okay, fine. Uh, let's see. Here's another one. The more money you have, the happier you will be. Right? And it's funny. Most of us are groaning because we, we either know personally or the news is full of people who have so much money, and it is clear that they are not happy. Right? Um, <clears throat> let's see. What's another one I have written down here? Um, more spending equals better life. That's kind of like a subset of the more money, the more happy. But when we say more money, we don't just mean having more money. We mean being able to spend spend more money, right, and, more, and spend it on ourselves, uh, and that turns out not to be the case. Um, how about it's good to be discontent, right? You shouldn't be happy with what you have. You need the next thing. Your phone that does everything you need it to isn't good enough. It's like 0.3 inches smaller on the screen. How could you survive with such a phone? Uh, you need the best phone. You need the latest phone, right? This phone is this much faster and this much thinner and it's going to be so much better and you shouldn't be content with what you have. You have a car. I have a 12-year-old car. Would you believe it takes me around the country while I'm sitting down? It's incredible. I mean, I can like sit down, move barely a muscle 
and it takes me down the highway at 70 miles an hour, it even makes the temperature inside whatever I want. Can you imagine? And yet, my 12-year-old car, my classmates tell me, is too old. I should get a new car as soon as I have the money to buy a new car, or even better, you should get a new car before you have the money to buy a new car, because somebody will loan you the money to buy a new car. And this is, this is sort of the, the attitude that our culture has, and then, unfortunately, it is almost impossible, I say almost, because nothing is impossible with God, but it is almost impossible not to sort of soak this in. Um, I, I sort of liken it to secondhand smoke. Uh, I don't know how many of us were alive when you could actually still smoke in a restaurant. You had to ask for smoking or non-smoking. But even if you pick non and you happen to be like right next to that non-existent wall between the smoking and non-smoking, you still smelled like smoke, right? And, and that's sort of how it is in our culture, except it's different. It's like those smoking rooms at the airport. Have you seen these? They're fantastic. Has anybody seen these? It's like a 10 by 10 box with 40 people chain smoking. And it's like a thick cloud in there. And that is, I I honestly believe that that is our culture and that's how saturated we are with this culture of greed and materialism. And unless we are aware of it, we will adopt it. And I know this firsthand because we left our country, Keely and I, when we were 24 and we moved to Morocco. Now, I'm not saying that Moroccans don't struggle with materialism or that I was free of it when I was there, but a lot of the advertising failed to connect because I don't speak Arabic or French so I don't get what they're even trying to sell me Um, and I'm living in a place that I maybe didn't call home so I didn't want to accumulate a whole bunch of things so it was a a beautifully free and like existence there because you didn't really want to spend a whole lot of money and we didn't have a whole lot of money to spend and so I thought that I was cured like I really did Um, I was like great I don't have materialism anymore this is fantastic and I would look back at my American friends and be like, ha, 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 you're still greedy and I'm not, which is another sin in itself. But we won't talk about that today. Um, <clears throat> so then we moved back. And I kid you not, within three months, it was like I had never left. I mean, you just it's so saturated here. And it needs to be a daily commitment to realigning ourselves with what God would have to say about our money. So let's look at maybe a few. We can't look at 2,300, unfortunately. Um, I actually looked at how long it would take to read 2,300 verses. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of six hours, so we weren't going to do that today. But um, let's look at a few of those to try to come up with a few principles of what the kingdom would say about money. So we're going to look, and I'm sorry, Will, you may not be able to get these as fast as I read them, but um, a few things. And we're going to contrast the cultural with what God says. So the culture says everything is yours that you have control over. And Psalm 24.1 would say... The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. There's not a whole lot of room for what what else is in the earth other than everything. So if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that includes all of my resources, my bank account, all everything at my disposal is going to be under his dominion. Uh, and it's not yours. It's not mine. It's God's. So that's the first point. Luke 12, 15. Uh, this is Jesus himself speaking. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Truer words are not spoken, friends. This is incredible. Be on your guard. You can't let your guard down. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. That is the exact polar opposite from what our culture would tell us. 
So everything is God's, and our life does not consist in our possessions. How about this one? 1 Timothy 6.6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you want an overarching uh, theme to strive for in the area of your money, I urge you to strive for contentment. It covers so many things. Um, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In fact, 1 Timothy 6 might be a great place if you're looking for, like, where should I start when thinking about money? Because he continues in verse 17 to 19. And this gets a little long, but this is worth listening to, so pay attention, please. Command those who are rich now not to set their hope on wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous givers, sharing with others. In this way, they will save up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the future and so lay hold of what is truly life. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, Tell them not to set their hope on wealth. Now, many of us might read this passage and say, well, he's talking to those who are rich. I'm not rich. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, there's a a point at which I had to, like, cut out whole rants from this sermon today because we are actually very, very, very rich. And unfortunately, most of us waste a lot of money, and so we don't think of ourselves as rich. Um, But especially compared to everything else in the world, we're super rich. Um... I'll just leave it at that. So we are truly rich, friends, and, um, and we need to sort of adopt this kingdom mindset. So an overarching word that I would like to use to describe all of these things about the kingdom mindset towards money is stewardship. Stewardship is kind of an old-fashioned word. Uh, where's Kenny? Is Kenny around? Oh, he's in the back. I was going to bring up the Lord of the Rings, and I thought of you. Kenny loves Lord of the Rings. Um, in the Lord of the Rings, in the third one especially, there is a steward of Gondor. Do you know his name, Kenny? Denethor. <clears throat> Thank you, Kenny. Well done. Um, <clears throat> I knew he would have it, although I did look it up myself because I could think of it. It started with a D, but it wasn't coming. Um, Denethor was a steward of a city. That means he was not the actual king. He was put there in place to take care of the king and to be wise in the uh, running of the city in the king's place. I think that's a great attitude to have for us on our money. Our money is not our own. If it's all God's, the king, we are stewards of that money. And so it is our job to sort of steward well what has been given to us uh, to be put in charge of. Does that make sense? Make sense? Um, So this idea of stewardship says, how can I use my resources to do the most good? Not how can I use my resources to buy more stuff for myself. Not how can I uh, use my resources to make me feel like I have value. Um, And and this idea of stewardship really replaces so much of what the culture would tell us. Uh, The culture would tell us that your value as a person is tied to your income. That has no place. There's no no business for that nonsense in the kingdom. Your income has no bearing on your value to God. And has no bearing on your value uh, or ability to steward what he's given you. Whether your income is $10,000 or $10 million, it doesn't matter. This is very, very clear from the text or from the scriptures, Um, and we need to be very clear that uh, that this is a mindset change. Most of us are going to have to sort of maybe this afternoon sit down and say, "How am I using my money? 
how am I thinking about how I'm using my money? Because most of us spend money and we use our money without thinking about it. The money comes in, the money goes out. I don't know where it goes, right? Um, and I think that, that God would challenge us not to let that be the case for us. So the first step in all of this, as with most things in Christianity, in the Christian life, is to get our heart in the right place. Because you can do the action of giving money, and if your heart is not in the right place, it's not doing you any good. Um, <clears throat> so let me challenge you to, to come to a place where you, you're saying to yourself, I want to view God the exact same, or I want to view money the same way that God views money. And I want to see how can I bless others, how can I be rich in good deeds, how can I steward well for the kingdom the resources that God has given me. Um, and when we get to that place, then Paul's words to us will actually mean something because he's, he's instructing them how to give. And the more that we understand the gospel, the, the deeper our desire to give will be. With me? Okay, so, um, so maybe today you're saying, well, I must not know the gospel very well because I don't really want to give. And that's okay. Um, continue to place yourself in a position where you see Jesus and his love for you, and I guarantee you your heart will change toward this. But this is one of the other cool things about uh, the way of Jesus is that you can also initiate the change by choosing to give. And this can actually change our hearts by the action in addition to the change in heart from the first place. So um, even if you're not saying to yourself, well, I really want to give today, uh, you can actually choose to put these into practice and then watch God change your heart along the way. Pretty cool. So let's go back to our text here and see what Paul would have to say about the practical nature of giving. (coughs) (coughs) verse uh, 2 I believe it says on the first day of the week each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you so that a collection will not have to be made when I come so this was a very specific set of circumstances this was a church in Corinth a city a lot of miles away from Jerusalem and they wanted to give money to that church and so Paul's like, look, when I'm, I'm going to come, and then I'm going to come visit you on my way to Jerusalem, you want to have your money ready by the time I get there so that I can just pick it up and go. Um, a lot of these things maybe we don't even have the issue with anymore, but um, let's look at some principles. It's never good to say this is specific. Let's do exactly what this is. But we can look at the principles behind the specifics, if that makes sense. So at the first level, let's say giving should be regular. I think that's fairly obvious from the text. The very first line of verse 2, on the first day of the week. Those weeks keep repeating, unfortunately, right? Um, it's not like on the years that start with one or whatever. You know, like it's, it's every week this needs to be done. And I think part of it is for our own heart's sake because our heart would continue to be pulled towards greed, materialism, idolatry, Um, And so it's good for us to do it regularly, but it's also good because you might get paid on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis or a monthly basis. And I think that it's important as often as we are uh, receiving resources to steward that we are taking some of that and we're saying, God, I want you to use this uh, specifically for your glory. All of it should be for his glory. But I want to give this away specifically to those in need, to the needs around me that you've made me aware of. Does that make sense? Giving should be regular. All right, that's our first principle. Uh, The next principle would be that it kind of includes everybody. So on the first day of the week, each of you. Dang. Right? It doesn't say those with uh, incomes above X. It doesn't say uh, those of you who 
are already through college or through med school, like me. I'm in med school right now. don't have a whole lot of income. Um, it says each of you is to put aside something. Okay, so that's everybody. Um, now, you know, those of you sitting there thinking, I could get away from this because I don't have any money to give away. Unfortunately, you're roped in. Um, <clears throat> that's, uh, that's principle number two. So principle number one, it's regular. Number two, it's everybody. Uh, number three is that it's got to be proportional, or should be. So he says, um, put aside something, save it to the extent that God has blessed you. That's kind of difficult to parse, perhaps. But in other translations, it's uh, in keeping with your income. A little easier to understand, perhaps. But he, Paul understands that those with a lot of resources are going to have a lot more to give. And those without a whole lot of resources may not have as much to give, but it should be in keeping with your income. Now, a lot of people want the number. What's the number? So I'm going to give it to you. Ready? Nope. You're not getting it. Um, There is no number. Because most of us want the number so that we can say, good, I've given what I need to. The rest is mine. And none of it's yours. It's all God's. And so the number needs to be settled between you and God, unfortunately. Um, you need to, to ask God, what is the extent that you have blessed me? Most of us should be aware that God has blessed us extravagantly. And then that number uh, will be whatever he calls you to give. And I encourage you to become a percentage giver. Some of you don't know what I mean by that. We all have incomes, even those of us in med school. Um, and to take a percentage of that. I'm not going to give you the percentage. Many people start with 10 Ten's a great number. It's not biblical in the sense that God ever commands ten. Some people would say, well, in the Old Testament, he said ten. Well, there were a couple of tens, actually, throughout the course of the year. So if you want to go back to the Old Testament, I think it ends up being like 28%. That's fine. We'll take it here at City Lights, I think. Um, uh, So ten is a fine number. I'm not saying anything bad about ten, but it might not be the right number for you. Maybe 20 would still have no impact on your life. Maybe 50 would be more appropriate. Okay, I'm in med school. There is a a time in the distant future where, you know, I may have an income around, let's be crazy, $300,000. I can't even imagine this, and it's embarrassing to even talk about. But if I'm not giving away 50% of my income at least, there is something wrong with the way I'm treating my money. Um, And you can hold me to that. You know, in 10 years, go and find me. Say, Kevin, what are you doing with your money? Um, no, I'm serious. I mean, you, you laugh, but I'm actually being very serious because that is the, the nature of our hearts is to say, well, I've given enough. I can sort of have some fun with the rest of this. But uh, that's not the way we view our money in the kingdom. And so, um, so it's got to be proportional. And unfortunately, I'm not going to give you that number. That's between you and God. And if God asks, if, if you feel an inclination that God is asking you to give an outrageous number, um, let me encourage you not to ignore that. So a quick story. Um, I was in middle school, middle school Kevin, youngest of four kids, and I'm not going to say I, like, pushed the boundaries, because it's not really my nature, perhaps, but I was um, bold, in a sense. So my church, where I went, was exploding, and we had, like, four services, standing room only, and we needed some place to move as a church, and uh, we needed to raise some money. And so they said, we're going to do a three-year building campaign. And uh, my dad was the pastor at the time, and he said, I want, I want to challenge you to ask God um, for something outrageous and to, to really feel, like, sense in your heart what God is asking you to give to this specific thing and to make it maybe a little bit 
uh, more ambitious than you might otherwise have, have done it. So at the time in middle school, for the Norman household, you got $20 a month in allowance just for being part of the family. Um, for being part of the family, you also got to do all the chores that came as being part of the family. But uh, $20 a month works roughly out to $5 a week. I think the math there is pretty solid. So, um, <clears throat> so little middle school Kevin said, let's see, I get $5 a week in allowance. I'm going to give $10 a week to this building fund. And for those of you keeping track, that's 200% of your income, not 10%. I said, let's be crazy. And I, honestly, um, I, felt, I felt like this weird sense that that was actually what God was asking me to do. And um, I'm sure my parents were like, oh, boy, great. Um, this is Kevin. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So that's... $10 a week, 52 weeks, three years, $1,560, $1,560 for a middle schooler who didn't have a job. Um, would you believe that in 52 weeks times three, so 156 weeks, not one, not one week ever did I miss my $10 that week? Not even one. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, it still gives me goosebumps because it was such a clear provision of God and a, a clear showing off of him, really, uh, just being like, look, you, you don't know me. Uh, you shovel out, I shovel in. I got a much bigger shovel than you. Um, there were times when, like, it was like middle of the month. I'm not getting allowance for a while. And here's my last $10. This will be fun. Because um, so often we think, well, I don't see how the provision could come. So it can't come. And um, Friends, that's just that's not the way God works. He's going to bless you. He's going to give in a way that you might not be able to predict. And so the Monday after I give that, I get a letter in the mail from my grandparents. I kid you not. Never, ever in the history of my life did they send me a, ma- a letter with money in it just for fun. Like, it just didn't happen. And $50 in the mail. Why? Because I had given my last $10 and God wanted to show off. Um, I challenge you to sort of take some steps in faith in this area, and you'll see that God does do what he says he's going to do. And it's pretty, it's encouraging to your faith. It's really fun. Uh, it's outrageously fun, actually, to see God uh, come through in this area. So, um, <clears throat> so let me challenge you to ask God in, in the, the quietness of your heart, what is the proportion that you would have me give? I'm going to give regularly. I don't have any option not to give because each of you should set aside something and it's got to be proportional to your income. How am I doing on time here? Okay, we're good. You're lucky because I had like a 40-minute rant on how you need to live inside your means to do this. But it should go without saying, right? You cannot spend more than your income and still have some to give away. That's not how it works. So um, there's a lot of tools to help you do that. And I forgot to ask Martin about this, but I think he'd be okay with it. Martin and I um, love talking about how to manage money well. And Martin's probably better at it than me. He's had more practice. And he's taught classes about managing your money in the past at other churches and things. Um, <clears throat> and he and I would love to sort of put on a class. If, you're fe- if you feel like, man, the money comes in, the money goes out, I'm in over my head, I've got $10,000 in credit card debt, I've got nowhere to start, I don't even know what's going on. And you want some help with that. Um, the worst place to be is sitting there quietly thinking, well, I'm not going to tell anybody. Um, This is a place where we need to be kind of open and honest and say, God, I need your help because God would have us manage our money well. He wants us to be good stewards. And it's not even necessarily that hard. It just takes some skill. And none of us are born good at money. right? It's a skill that every single one of us has to learn because every single one of us has to manage our money. So 
um, come see Jesse, me, Martin. I mean, we would love to sort of even put on a class if there's enough interest for this sort of thing. But if you want some help kind of managing your money going forward, uh, we would love to help you with that. So, um, so we're back to our principles. And then he gets into verses 3 and 4, which seems kind of like it would not tie in today. Where are we here? You can tell I don't look at my notes all that much. Here we go. Then when I arrive, I will send those whom you approve with letters of explanation to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will go with me. So what, how could this matter to us today? He's talking about this specific time in the first century and how to distribute the gift. But I think the principle of this is that the Corinthians were, were sort of generating the gift to give. And Paul was not going to take it from them and then use it however he wanted. He wanted them to be involved, if you understand, in the distribution of this gift. And I think that the principle for us is that we should make sure that our giving is, is done wisely. That whatever we give to is going to actually uh, steward it in a way that is uh, good for the kingdom. And that we should make sure that where we give um, <clears throat> is efficient, it's well run, uh, that we should be wise in the way that we give. Uh, it's it's even better when we are uh, generous givers to things that matter, if that makes sense. Um, and that's why I think the local church is probably one of the best places to give, because you have a say in how this gets done. If you have something you want to do here, awesome. We, like, we, we don't, we're not like, okay, if this idea doesn't come from the elder's brain, we're not doing it. Um, Jenna is a great example of that. They want to do a, kil- a children's thing. This is awesome. Let's get behind it. Let's do it. Um, so be wise in the way that you give and make sure that the places that you give um, are, are using that money well. So um, those are our principles about how to give. So we should give regularly. Everyone should give. Uh, it should be proportional to your income, and we should do it wisely. Um, those four things are really going to guide us as we sort of implement this kingdom way of, of viewing our money. And um, as we kind of wrap up, I just want to get back to some practical things. <clears throat> like super practical. One would be that, that our giving should be more thought through than like a Sunday morning wallet check. Um, and this is why I encourage you to, to be a percentage giver because when you get to church and check your wallet and there's $6 in there, that's okay. But don't, don't forget that when you go home, you can give online, you can send something to the church. I think that our giving should not be haphazard. Um, and, and one of the things that Keely and I have done is made a lot of our giving automatic. Uh, which I think really is perfect. It gets right to the heart of Matthew 6 when Jesus says, let your giving be in secret. Um, a lot of times my giving gets mailed to the church here or you know, we support um, other folks on other ministries and that just gets automatically withdrawn. I don't have to sit down and if I forget, it doesn't matter. It happens without my knowing and it's perfect. Um, so automatic giving is a great thing and I encourage you to do it. Uh, most online banking, unless I saw somebody write a check at the grocery store the other day. It was amazing. <clears throat> and it was like $12.11. I, it was fantastic. Whew, it was, yeah, it was pretty awesome. But um, online banking, most online banks, you can like set it up to automatically withdraw, and they'll even mail a check to the church, something like that. Um, the other thing that I would encourage you to do practically is be aware of the needs that, that are around you. Um, for example, I don't know if you've looked up recently, <clears throat> but the church probably needs some paint, uh, either on the ceiling and especially the outside. Um, apparently, there have been a few folks recently who's, who've asked, oh, I thought that building was closed a long time ago. Um, th- there are some needs that we have here at the church. There are needs in Scranton all over. 
Um, and we want to sort of take care of the building and be a good steward of that. And those things aren't cheap. I think the, the quote for the outside and the inside together are something around $20,000. And um, some of us, if you show up on a, a weekly basis and you say, well, it seems like everything's running, they must not need my money. Um, that's not true. And we, I think God would have you give here and then we could, you know, if we have a surplus, now we get to do like really cool things with it and see how God can, can bless our community uh, through this body. So try to be aware of needs um, and to really t- take a stand to sort of mon- manage your money well and not to let it, let it slide. But um, I just want to finish by looking at Matthew six nineteen. <clears throat> I have the NIV here, but I'll wait for it up on the slide because I love Will so much. (coughs) And Kenny, if you you guys want to come up, we'll just sing through that Lord's Prayer one more time. Um, I always read this and sort of had this impending sense of guilt um, when I read Jesus' words here. But he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, next verse, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then the next verse was the one that I was always like, oh, great. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I was thinking, man, I, I guess my heart's here. I need to get my heart up there. Um, but I don't see this in that light anymore. I see this as an observation. Jesus is making the simple observation that quite literally, wherever your treasure is, is where your heart's going to be. And we all have a decision of where our treasure is going to be. Um, and so I, I encourage you to, um, to let God into your finances. Because the gospel is not for a part of us, it's for all of us. And um, <clears throat> every single aspect of our lives, God would have us surrender to him and use it all for his glory for his uh, blessing of, of the people here in Scranton. And so uh, let me ask you to stand. And let's pray together uh, that God would give us generous hearts, that he would help us to see our money the way he does. Our Father, we, uh, we confess that, that our view towards money too often we adopt that view from our culture that says that our money is ours to do with what we want that the more we spend the happier we'll be and Lord we confess that to you and we ask for forgiveness we thank you that in Jesus you have already forgiven us that we are washed clean and that you offer us a new life a new creation in you and we pray that that would uh, extend to the way we view our finances today that you would make us glad and generous people, excited to see you move in that area of our lives. Lord, we um, are eager to see what you can do uh, through your people. And so we ask that you would help us to keep our treasures in heaven, that we would be excited uh, about what you're going to do give us a deep sense of contentment. Help us to be wise stewards, we pray.